It is Friday, October 24, 2022. And today on Muskie's Talk on the Xavier Newswire, we'll talk about Week 8 of the National Football League. We'll recap Week 7. Get you set for the Bengals matchup as they'll be on the road Monday night in Cleveland down on the lake to take on the Cleveland Browns. We'll get you set for the World Series. We'll also break down Xavier basketball as they get ready for their exhibition match on Wednesday against Kentucky Wesleyan. That's all coming up and more. So let's get this thing rolling. All right, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Spearnett. Hi again, everybody. I'm John Baldridge. Welcome in for another podcast edition of Muskie's Talk. I'm joined by Alex now here in the studio. And Alex, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Welcome in, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Muskie's Talk. Yeah, it's been a good week. we got a lot to get on hand here. We'll recap week seven of the NFL as the Bengals get their second win in a roll down at home against Atlanta. They'll get ready for Cleveland in week eight. We'll get you set for some picks coming up in the next 35 minutes. We'll get you set for Xavier basketballs. They'll have their first exhibition game this Wednesday coming up next week and plenty more to talk about. Anything, Alex, you want to start on today? Anything you want to hit on? Uh, let's talk a little World Series. We'll start baseball. I like to hear it. We don't usually start with baseball. It's been interesting to see, you know, the four of the top seven franchises in Major League Baseball went to the, uh, the NLCS, the ALCS, and you saw the Phillies with that Bryce Harper home run in the eighth inning. You know, the guy they pay the most money to on that franchise, a team that spent a lot of money, went out and got Nick Castellanos. They uh, come on, and they and they have a very good season. And here they're in the World Series. They're going to take on the Houston Astros, who beat the Yankees in four games. What do you want to take away from those two teams, and what do you think is going to happen in the World Series? Well, John, I actually got back to my house right after the Bengals game on Sunday, and I'm just sitting down, and I flip on to the Phillies game. And right as I flip on, Bryce, Bryce Harper hits that home run. And it was just absolutely electric. You love to see homers like that in the World uh, excuse me, in the ALCS to get the team to the World Series. And Bryce Harper's a guy who he had such uh, huge expectations coming into the league, and he just hadn't had his big moment yet. And in my opinion, that's his career-defining moment. Harper's a guy they spent a lot of money on. You know, they bring him. He wasn't actually he wasn't on that 2019 World Champion Nationals team. A lot of people don't. A lot of people think he was on that team. He wasn't. They bring him in. They bring Nick Castellanos in. They bring Reese Hoskins up. He went through the system. Gene Segura. Uh, you can, you know, you go down to the guys from the pitching to the to their catching. They have just a great team they put together. I mean, you look at these teams. I mentioned the the four other stop four of the top seven teams in the major league playoffs had the, the biggest fran franchises in money. And only only for the 14th ranked Cardinals in salary went to the playoffs. And, of course, the Indians, or Guardians, excuse me, snuck in at one of the lowest uh, payrolls in baseball. But you look at these teams, we mentioned it last week, it's just the money – where, these, where the money is is where the winning teams are. And the Phillies are the same way. The Astros are the same way. The Yankees and, of course, the Padres were there too. Uh, predictions for the World Series? It's still early. Do you think how many games you think it's going to go? And if you have a favoriting you like in the series? Well, I certainly do like the Phillies in this series. It just seems like they're kind of the team of destiny this year. I believe only picking up 87 wins in the regular season. And they've just been absolutely plowing through the playoffs. Their offense is hot. They have all the players. All the momentum's going their way. But they're going to be going up against a tough competition in the Houston Astros. 
You have a manager over there in Dusty Baker, former Cincinnati Reds manager, who's looking to get his first World Series, and he's got a great group, uh, group of guys over there as well. But I do like the Phillies to get this one. I think that it's just all the momentum's going their way. Uh, I'm going to go Phillies in six. This is a hard one to tell, I think. I think it's going to go seven, Alex. Uh, you'll see Aaron Nola. It wasn't announced till today, but Justin Verlander, who was expected to start for the Astros, will get the game start. That game will start at 8.03 tomorrow on Fox, game one down in Houston. But it will be a great series. But, Alex, why do you think it's going to go six? I think seven. I just think it's going to be back and forth. I do take the Astros. They've been to the World Series the last four out of six years. I think they're due. They only won it one time. I think they're going to get it this year. Yeah, and I think we're officially past the point of the Astros cheating scandal. I mean, at this point, they're just a good team, and all of baseball just has to put that behind them because they've certainly moved on. And another fun wrinkle that I actually have, I've been looking at the ticket prices for this game, and I saw a tweet from a Phillies fan who said it's actually cheaper to fly into uh, Houston, pay for a ticket at Minute Maid Park, and then fly back to Philadelphia than it is to go to a game in Philadelphia. Well, because you look at that game last, I think it was, I guess it was Monday night when the Yankees took on the Astros. And those game, I guess it was game four, you know, Yankees were out of it. Those tickets were dirt cheap, you know, 15, 20 bucks. And now we're looking at, I don't know how much it is. It's it's over $1,000 to get in at Philadelphia. And those fans have just been wanting it. Uh, so badly for so long, and they're, they're finally getting the Well, so they, they got something great going together. We'll hit on briefly in a little later how the Philly Union beat FC Cincinnati last week. We talked about that game, how they beat them in the playoffs, so we'll dive on that a little later. But uh, Philly's got a lot going on in that town right now. I did, we did talk about it last week. We'll hit on this real quick. Uh, Dusty Baker, I talked about it last week. I said he should be a Hall of Fame manager even if he doesn't win the big game. He's never won the big game. He's been at good teams in Washington. He had good teams in Cincinnati. He had good teams when he coached for Chicago back in the early 2000s. Here he is of Houston. You mentioned they've been to the World Series the last four out of six years. Do you think the Astros, yes, they're due, but do you think Dusty Baker is a manager that should be given credit to be a Hall of Fame manager even if he doesn't win the World Championship? Yeah, I mean, you look at his his resume, and starting off with the Reds, he during that 2012 season, he had one of the best teams in baseball, let's be honest, and they just couldn't get it done in the playoffs. But then you fast forward to this situation, he inherits a Houston Astros organization that, let's be frank, they were a mess when he inherited them, even yeah. though they had all the talent, to be able to deal with all the scandals that they were going through. That's a lot, that's a PR mess, and to be able to guide the team and steer the ship, that that's a huge accolade for him, and I think that it, it just adds to his already great resume. Dusty's always been a player manager, Alex, and he talked about it, and I don't know how much you know about this, but if you want to talk about it for a second, I've always felt like he was a guy that stood up for his players, and you can go back to guys around like like Jay Bruce here, Brandon Phillips, and he always stood up for those guys. Do you feel like Dusty sometimes got ran out of town because he kind of wanted to make sure those players stayed, and maybe they didn't get to stay, so he kind of got pushed out of the door too here at Cincinnati? Yeah, I mean, Dusty has just always been the absolute definition of a player's coach. I remember watching a clip way back in the day. Uh, there was a player on the Reds named Chris Heisey. And, yeah, him and Ryan Lug- Lugwick shared time in left field. Yes, and Chris at the time was actually not making enough money. I don't know what the circumstances were, but at this point the Reds were not paying for team charters for all of their players um, to get to each game. 
And Chris Hiasey, as a result of this, often had to drive to make some road trips. And Dusty Baker uh, actually would sometimes take the road trips with him because he uh, wow. grew such a bond with them. So I, I always thought that was really cool. It should be a great World Series. Um, it's been a great year of baseball. I wish the Reds had any life of hope or optimism, and, and hopefully they will, you know, by 2024. We're looking at maybe the two years. Next year won't be maybe that great. But do you think the Reds, I mean, yes, under leadership of Nick Crawl and the Castellini family and Votto's going to retire, and we hit on this, I think, one of the podcasts. I don't think there's much hope for next year, but do you feel like at least – the minor lead system, the farm system is going in the right direction, bringing players up that have hope. I mean, all these different prospects, they went from, I think, 13th in the farm system rankings down to number four after all these guys they got and the trades of Tyler Malley and Luis Castillo. And, and we can just keep naming the guys. Nick Castellanos not resigning him and losing Jesse Winker and Suarez and training the, trading them. Do you feel like getting a good farm system will, you know, yes – you will have to go out and sign players, but do you feel like the Reds have a chance to be good in the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, it's really a simple formula for the Reds. If you're able to bring up, say, a shortstop and a couple uh, outfielders from the minor leagues and have them only make, you know, the rookie contracts or something around those lines, you can bring in some superstars that can help guide the team. Now, will the Reds do that? Will mm -hmm. they bring in a stud pitcher that will be able to steer the, the ship? It seems like this is what the Mariners have been doing uh, over the last few years. They've kind of been brewing in a similar formula to the Reds where they've had a lot of high minor league prospects along with the Tampa Bay Rays where they're finally bringing up these guys and then they're also bringing in veterans and signing them to long-term deals to uh, work in unison with the rookies, uh, which has brought great results for them and I only hope that it does in the future for the Reds. I think we'll get over to football here in a second. I think with that being said, you look at these guys they signed, and it's not always that they just went out and signed guys. It's who the guys they signed, right? So they went out and got Yasiel Puig, and they went out and got Matt Kemp, and they went out and got Shogi Akiyama. And he, when he came here, he never really even saw the field. And, I mean, you look at these guys they've brought up in the last five, six years, and, and you say to yourself, okay, Nick Crawl's done a great job, but these guys he went out and got didn't turn out to be great players, so it really was not that great of a job done. But you look at a guy over on the other side of the block, on Duke Tobin, who's, you know, if there is a GM, if there's a GM that's not a GM, it's Duke Tobin. And he went out and got guys like Von Bell and Mike Hilton and Trey Hendrickson and, and Shedebe Wouzier and, and guys like that. But you went out and signed great players and spent a lot of money the last couple of years. And for years, it was Mike Brown for 25 years. You know, if they want to blame one guy on being a bad owner, if it was the Reds or the Bengals, it was Mike Brown and the Bengals. And here we are now. The Bengals have a good defense. Why do you think – do the Bengals just – I mean, they got great players. Do you think the Reds just didn't make great signs, go out and get great the best prospects out there? What do you think it was, Alex? Well, you mentioned the comparison between the Bengals and the Reds there, and one that always comes to mind for me. I remember when the Reds signed Mike Moustakis a few years ago to this mega contract yeah. for what he was. Uh, and I think around the same time, actually, the Reds signed Trey Hendrickson. And I remember the Bengals, of course. The Bengals signed Trey Hendrickson. And the, negative, uh, the negativity that the Bengals received in the media for that signing was absolutely insane. And Trey Hendrickson has turned out to be one of the best defenders in the NFL since we've signed him. 
And then we get all the praise in the world for signing Mike Moustakis, and he turns out to be one of the worst players in baseball across every stat line, and we're paying him almost $18 million a year. I think that's why you look at these scouts, and I think the Bengals done a great job with Duke Tobin, Trey Brown, guys they have guys in their system that they're scouting department. Because if you look at Trey Hendrickson, yes, he was a great player at the Saints, but he never went to a Pro Bowl. And they sign him here going into that 2021 season. And he turns it on last year. Had a great season 2020, but didn't go to the Pro Bowl. 2021 has a better season, goes to the Pro Bowls, having a great season this year. Went to Super Bowl last year. You look at a guy like Mike Moustakis, who had a couple good years in Milwaukee. Had a great career down in Kansas City for the Royals before that. But he was his body of work, Alex, was a more older guy, kind of. I don't want to say the, the lingering parts of his career, but he was definitely getting to the later stages. And... It's not saying he was going to be great here. It just turned out to be really bad. You know, he's had injuries. It's been bitten by the bug, and he's had not had a good career. But I think you got to look at the guys, how young he is, his body work. And I think if you put the guys together, the Bengals have done a better job of that in the last two or three years. Yeah, and I think especially when they were signing Mike Moustakis, and I do understand the signing partially. I just don't know if I would have gone as many years and for as much money as they did. I know what they were doing. They, want, they thought that they had a good core of young guys. You know, at that point, they had Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez, and a good pitching staff, and they were hoping that Mike Moustakis would be that veteran piece. You know, he did go and win the World Series with Kansas City. They thought if you bring in a locker room like a guy like that, then something special could really form. But, it, you know, they had that COVID year, and it wasn't the full season. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. a lot of unfortunate things happened for the Reds, but it just ultimately didn't work out as well as some of the free agent signings that have happened for the Bengals over the past several years. Yeah, we don't have enough time to dig way too deep on this, and then we could talk about this forever. And, of course, you know, you look back at that 2020 season, they went to the playoffs, but they had they had a 30-30 and 30 record. Actually, it was 31-29 and 29 in the 60-game season. But, you know, it was the question that year was, is who's going to play third base? There was no that DH yet in the, in the NL. You still had Moustakas and Suarez, and here, you know, they couldn't find a guy they wanted to play at that position. And next year, Suarez, of course, has a down year. Moustakas does too. And then they're worried about none of those guys are playing third base now. They're going with Drury last year. And that's, a pr- and that's the problem, Alex. But we'll see what happens. It's going to be a great World Series. Let's get over now to do you want to go NFL or do you want to talk about Xavier Hoops real fast? Uh, let's go Xavier Hoops. All right, so Alex, uh, I want you to let's. I'll let you talk about this more than me. You, I was working the event, so I didn't get to see much of it. But what what was your takeaways from the blue white scrimmage? The white team won at fifty forty six. Jack Nunji had a great game. Soleil Boom, the grad transfer who played his last three years at UTEP, led the Musketeers in points. Went five or six for the field. Had sixteen points. What do you want to take away from? An exhibition. I know it's hard to tell, but what can you see from Sean Miller's first time back for the fans to see him inside the Centos Center? Yeah, it was obviously really cool to see Sean come out and uh, kind of coach the team in that blue-white blue white scrimmage. I know that he was certainly into it. Um, some of the players that really stood out to me, I'll just give you the top four that I saw. Soli Boom was uh, in my top four. He went 4-4 four, four from three and looked really strong. Uh, the only negative takeaway I would give him is at times he looked like he was a little uh, loosey-goosey, I guess you could say, with the ball, and he turned it over a few times. Uh, but other than that, his scoring was great. I'm just not sure that he's going to be able to be a guy that really penetrates the rim. I don't know if he has that in his arsenal, but he certainly is a straight shooter. And if he can do that, that uh, works out great because other people can dribble the ball. Uh, second on my team is Jack Nungy. I mean, the guy is just an absolute superstar. He's throwing down one-handed alley-oops, he's making threes, he's stretching the floor, 
he's going to be our guy this year, and I look forward to it. My number three guy is a little bit of a surprise, and we haven't seen him in full health since his freshman year. It was actually Kiki Tandy. Really? Okay. He made some mistakes at times, but I could tell that Sean was really impressed with what he was doing. Uh, I've only heard good things out of the Xavier camp for him this year uh, in the early stages. During that blue-white scrimmage, he was taking it to the rim. He was uh, making his threes, and he was playing really well. It looked like his defense even improved, and uh, I think that's what – held him out of a lot of games in the last few years. Uh, and then my fourth guy is going to be Cam Kraft. Um, I a freshman. Re- freshman, yeah. I was really surprised with how strong he was despite his – I mean, let's be honest. He's not that physically big, but he was able to penetrate to the rim uh, and put up some floaters, that, and he looked great. His jump shot's great. Uh, I think he's going to be a true Big East player. So mentioned interesting you mentioned the guy's name Cam I mean T- Kiki Tandy. We talked about it when we had our first podcast. I think maybe a couple times later we had that lengthy first podcast and Tandy I think we both hit on it, you know, he was working to get back on the floor as much as he could last year and I feel like the problem with him was Travis Steele being the coach. I feel like him and Travis never really got on the same page of what they wanted him to do. You know, it was going to be, you know, he's a shooter, but he's not the best defensive player. Uh, he's I think he's work you know he's working on that but it was just game and game after sh- after the games taking those shots and I feel like Tandy was working on it and then he got injured again and it's glad to see him back out there performing. This team gets ready for a long stretch. I mean you start you know you start back early August really working hard and now we're here in, getting ready for November which they'll have their first game next Wednesday an ex- one exhibition against Kentucky Wesleyan. They'll have three games regular season games before they have their big game against Indiana on Friday, November 18th. Uh, We hit on that game earlier, Alex. Uh, First, I want to start with uh, Kentucky Wesleyan. We didn't – that should be a game they should run away with, right? I mean, we should see stellar play out of – you know, our big guys will just be bigger than them, so we should be able to just run away away from them, right? I mean, you would certainly hope so. Um, You kind of schedule these games early in the year to get right. Uh, figure out what's going to work on offense. Uh, I'd actually – I haven't looked at Kentucky Kentucky Wesleyan, but I would hope that they, they have a big guy uh, in there that is going to be able to at least play some sort of defense because I feel like you don't get a whole lot out of it when you can just go up and throw alley-oops every play. Um, and I'd like to see Xavier, you know, get used to each other on offense because sometimes when you play these bad teams – obviously I don't want to discount Kentucky Wesleyan too much, but they're, they're not a division one school. Um, But sometimes the the players get carried away a little bit. It feels like, and almost mess around. If you look at the stretch here, you got Morgan state, Montana and Fairfield on the 7th, 11th and 15th of November. And then you got Indiana. And then you have that Phil Knight legacy tournament where they'll take on Florida or Duke or Oregon state. And then they'll have, of course, Southern Louisiana when they get back home. But then yeah. they got West Virginia, then Cincinnati. So, I mean, it's a long stretch of tough games. they got to get ready for these next, you know, four games before they get Indiana, right? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough because you're going to be playing teams, obviously, there up until the Indiana game, which you circle as wins and early uh, before the season starts. But the team's gonna be able, going to have to be able to flip the switch from teams like Kentucky, Wesleyan, and Montana – right to Indiana. So it's going to be interesting to see if they're up for that challenge because it's going to certainly be a huge uh, jump in the competition. Uh, and we'll, we'll have to see if they're ready for it. I think the battle 
the big battle is not in the backcourt, but in the front court. You got guys like Jerome Hunter. You'll have guys like Deontay Miles, guys like Jack Nungy, who's probably the best big man on this team. But you'll have Fremantle, Cesar Edwards, I mean, Elijah Tucker, who didn't see the floor last year. Even a guy like Bob Nungy, who's the brother of Jack Nungy, might see some minutes this year. I doubt it. But, I mean, he played well in the scrimmage, I have to say. So, are, would you be surprised at all to see multiple guys get minutes at this, you know, three, three, four, five positions? Yeah, I think early in the year, especially, as you mentioned, with those first few games, we're just going to have to see what fits. Um, what's going to be a good starting lineup? What's going to be a good rotation? Will it be seven guys? Will it be eight guys? Will it be nine guys? We're just going to have to see. And, you know, this is where Sean's going to test the lineups because early in the year, especially during the, the training coming up to the year, you're just playing against your own guys. And it's hard to tell who really sticks out when you're just doing in-team uh, in scrimmages. And uh, so it's going to be see. It's going to be interesting to see what lineups come together and who meshes well together. The one thing you want to see in these next four games where they take on Indiana is fight. And I hope, you know, you want to see them blow them out, of course. But you want to see hustle. You want to see scrap. And I think you saw that. And Sean, you know, the way he coached last Friday, after the timeout in the second half, there was probably four, five, six minutes left in the game. Sean just tore on that blue team. I believe it was the blue. It might have been the white team. But, you know, they were not taking the shots I think Coach Miller wanted. And here he just ripped them. And I don't think that's something you would have saw from Travis, just not his coaching style. But Sean's one of those feisty coaches. He might, he you know, he's a lover off the court. But on the court, he's going to be straight business. And I think that's what you expect to see in Sean Miller. Do you think that's the way he's going to coach? You know, that's the way he's always coached. But you think that's the way this team has to be coached? Yeah, I mean, obviously something had to change. And if that's a more strict coaching style, I mean, obviously Sean loves the guys there. And Definitely, they yeah. wouldn't they wouldn't play for him if he didn't. But he wants the best for them, too, and he sees the most in them. And he's going to do whatever it takes um, within his limits to to get the best out of them and to get them back to where they need to be, which is the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. Yeah, you think, well, get over football in a second. But you think about it, Alex. You just can't coach the way you used to. You know, there used to be more feisty coaches. But I think Sean's just the perfect fit for this program. They need a little change and a little more – you hate to say the word discipline, but I feel like that's the word you need to say. It is discipline inside this program, and I think Sean's going to do a good job. They'll get started Wednesday against Kentucky Wesleyan. Centos Center, so make your way down. Tickets, of course, are available for that action. We'll get over now to the National Football League. I'm Alex, Bengals, they win last week 35-17. They take an early lead, third play in, a touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd. They kind of run away from a team that is not really able to pass it. It was, you know, at halftime I was a little nervous. You know, they, they come back, get that long punt return after they get that long pass by the Falcons, and they, they cut it close to, I think it was 20, 28-17 at that point. The Bengals yeah. get only get seven points second half. They win that game. But how much can you take away from that? I mean, they're playing Atlanta. They, you know, they don't play great against New Orleans. At least I don't think they played very good. I mean, they they played well in the last two minutes, with 58 minutes in that game, it wasn't great. But they're four and three. Bengals. The big news today is Jamar Chase is out four to six games with hip injury, so that's tough news. But I mean, you look at the schedule. You have Cleveland, Carolina before the bye. Then you are at Pittsburgh on Sunday night, and then you're at Tennessee, and then you got Kansas City. So. Bengals, if it's time to get injured, it's got to be right now, right? But what what can you take away from the game on Sunday? 
and the Bengals with Jamar Chase gone, how's it going to hurt the Bengals? Well, I mean, Sunday was obviously the Jamar Chase show, and I mean, there's no doubt about that. And it's it's going to certainly be hard for the coaching staff to adjust. That's the biggest thing I'm worried about, the coaching staff. They're going to have to draw up a game plan that is able to run through two receivers. That's my biggest concern. Because let's be honest, when Jamar's out there, he's going to draw two defenders, and that allows Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins to be as good as they are. And I'm just afraid that without him out there, it's going to be hard to have offensive productivity. We're lucky here with a stretch of theoretically lesser opponents, but they're going to go out and they're going to try to win just as much as we are. we got to come out to play, and it's going to certainly take an adjustment from our coaching staff, but it's definitely a huge blow without Jamar Chase in there. Yeah, and that's that's a that's a big point you just mentioned there, Alex. And the coaching staff has been if there's been one big problem this year, it started with the offensive line and then it went from there because of the coaching. But I feel like the offensive line's got better. They're 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 run blocking better, the pass blocking I feel like it's been there most of the season. I just feel like we gotta in these next two or three games we play three teams we should beat before we play Tennessee, which we probably should beat them too. But if you look at these next four games, I mean, you just got to say, we got to run this ball. We got to get the passes over the middle to, to Tyler Boyd. Hayden Hurst has got to get involved. And T. Higgins got to play big. I mean, without Jamar Chase, we haven't seen it since 2020 when they had Tyler Boyd and had T. Higgins, and they had a yeah. tough year that year. But, I mean, it's 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 they're gonna, they are got to figure a way out, and I think they will, and it's got to be with this new offensive line. They can put a lot of money into them running this football, right? Yeah, and personally, I think that – for this offense to be successful, at least until Jamar comes back, which I don't know if it's going to be the four to six weeks. With this injury, with that hip injury, hip fracture, I believe, it's really unpredictable for the returning timeline. And the Bengals have a Super Bowl window here of two, three, four years where they're going to have to capitalize. And if they want to do that, I think they're going to have to attack in the trade market. And we'll have to see. uh, Maybe by the time we film next week's podcast, there's going to be a new wide receiver on the team. But with the NFL trade deadline coming up, there's certainly some names out there, and I just don't feel comfortable with the depth that we have right now outside of Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. Sure, definitely. I mean, you look at this and you say to yourself, how can we survive? And how can we survive is, you know, by this defense. And the defense through seven games hasn't allowed a second-half touchdown. They didn't allow us a touchdown or any points the second-half last game. I mean, you, we just talked about it. They added guys like Henderson and Hendrickson and, and Awuzie and, and Hilton. And, and, you know, you just go down the line and you say, this is what we're going to play good is on the defense and going against a team where teams you should beat, especially a backup quarterback and, and Bursette this week. It's supposed to rain. you got to find a way just to play thick and thin, run this football, run it on the ground, play a hard-nosed football game. The Bengals got to find a way to, to, to survive, right? Yeah, I mean, it's going to take an adaptation of the offense. And like you said, it's going to take more P. Ryan. It's going to take more of Joe Mixon. And we're going to have to incorporate some other elements of the offense that we haven't used before. Maybe it's a Trent Irwin off the bench. Uh, who yeah. knows? I mean, it's just, it's going to be somebody that we don't expect probably. Um, but, you know, you hope that the Bengals can take care of business here until Jamar gets back. But I want to get into uh, – Yeah, let's get over our picks, right? Yeah, let's get over some picks. Uh Okay, so we're recording this on Thursday night, and it's about a couple hours before the uh, 
Ravens and Bucks get out. So we won't give a prediction on that, but do you want to give what you might think will happen in that game? And, of course, people already know what happens when they listen to this the next day. But Buccaneers-Ravens night, we'll go through our AFC North. So what do you think we'll get out of the Ravens? Well, the Ravens are a team that, quite honestly, I think the fans would admit have been quite a disappointment this year. They just don't have the ability to close games. They're going to be catching a Bucks team that – Certainly looks like one of the coldest teams in the NFL after losing the Carolina last week, which is certainly the biggest headline of the week, uh, one that nobody saw coming. Um, but this is, I would have to imagine, a must-win for Baltimore, especially with Cincinnati's easier schedule coming up. Another team in the AFC North, of course, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. They'll take on the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are now having a great season. I believe they're, yeah, they're 6-0. and They they're going to take on a Steelers team that is struggling, coming in at 2-5. and five. That game's at 1 o'clock in Philly, a battle between the Philadelphia, I mean, between the Pennsylvania teams. What do you like in that one, Alex? Well, obviously I'm going to take the Phil, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. It's hard to imagine that they lose this game, but I feel like if there's a weird game that they could lose this year, it could be to a team like the Steelers. You know, you just get in an absolute – Philadelphia's offense really hasn't gone idle yet this year, and it seems like maybe they're due for a game where nothing really works. You know Pittsburgh's going to always go out there and play hard, um, but I do like the Eagles in this one. Um, I think Jalen Hurts should be able to torch that secondary, but like I said, you never know. Steelers are always going to go out and play hard, and any team that's on the feet is always going to have a, a target on their back. So, I mean, the Eagles better not take this one for granted. Not many teams that are both having winning records play each other this week, but a big game that will take place is the two teams that went to the NFC Championship this year. Both teams are under 500. One team's right at 500, and the 49ers and the Rams in Los Angeles. I still take the Rams. I mean, I still take the 49ers. I think they're a good team. They look at their roster. It's loaded. I mean, they just added Christian McCaffrey last week. They come off. They lost to Kansas City. The Rams struggling with Matthew Stafford. I think it's 49ers game to lose. Do you have a prediction on this one? Yeah, I like the 49ers as well. Um, they've just kind of had a tough – I mean, obviously they lose to the Falcons a couple weeks ago. The last week, you know, they catch they catch the Chiefs on just a game where yeah. nobody was going to beat the Chiefs that week. Mm -hmm. And Chris McCaffrey came to the team, I believe, Friday of that week before the game – it's hard to imagine they had time to properly incorporate him in the offense, uh, get him with all the lingo. But I expect for them to heavily use him this week. And th like you said, they just have so much talent on that offense and defense. It's hard to imagine, even even with a mediocre quarterback at best, Jimmy Garoppolo in there, it's hard to imagine that they don't steer the ship in the right direction. And I have them this week as well. Three more games we'll briefly hit on real fast. Of course, we'll hit on the Bengals last. That'll be our third to last game. But want to hit on the Patriots and Jets. Are you you said last week when we did our buy or sell, you said you're not for real on the Jets at all. Patriots, yeah. of course, come <laughs> off and lost to the the Bears on Monday night. It's in New York, MetLife Stadium, one o'clock. I'll still take the Jets. I think they're a good team. I mean, but they lose their best their best running back in Bryce uh Brees Hall. Where do you stand on this game? Personally, I think the Jets season is over. Um and obviously that's hard to say with a team with the record they have. But when you lose your only offensive playmaker, and let's be honest, he is their only offensive playmaker. I mean, there has been nobody else on the team that has gone out there and consistently gotten them points. It's been their defense. 
and it's been Brees Hall. And without Brees Hall, you're going to ask Zach Wilson to step up, who, let's be honest, has not done much this year. I mean, he's had games where he's had less than 100 yards, and they've been able mm-hmm. to squeak out a win. It's time for him to step up if they want to continue the success. But personally, I have no faith in them. I think this is a bounce-back week for the Patriots, who I think are a superior team at this point. Packers and the Bills on Sunday night. Two quarterbacks that for their whole career have been the, the peak of the lead. You know, you look at the NFC last year and you would have said Rodgers and Brady. And then there would have been Hurts and whoever else, would, Kirk Cousins and, and all these other guys. And could you be for real on any of them? And three and four, the Packers stand. They're going to take on the five and one Bills. Rodgers keeps avoiding the point that saying the season might be over said, you know, he said last week that if we go out and beat the – no one's going to expect us to beat the Bills, so we got to go out and win that game. What do you think will happen in this one? I think the Bills will roll over them, but do the Packers have any chance to rebound and kind of get the season back to where they want it to be with one of the best quarterbacks of all time? Yeah, I mean, when you look at this game on paper, you think to yourself, especially if you're a betting person, you're like, there's no possible way that the Bills can lose this game, right? I mean, the Packers have just absolutely stunk this year. But these are the games that are weird. And this is why the NFL is such a strange league. Any team can beat any team any week. And the Bills, they look like the runaway favorites in this one. They honestly look like the runaway favorites for the Super Bowl up to this point. You never know. And I'm going to take the Bills, obviously, because I have to. But you never know. Aaron Rodgers might have to figure it out at some point. Why not this week? Well, I mean, we'll talk about it real fast. You look, I mean, as I mentioned, you know, if you look at the NFC going into this year, it would have been Brady's and Rodgers or the guys way up here. And then you would have said maybe Jalen Hurts, maybe, I mean, even a guy like maybe like Geno Smith, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, um, if it, Matt Ryan's not there anymore. But, I mean, you look at guys that, are, you know, had a chance, Jameis Winston. I mean, but the NFC was down going into the season. Now we're looking at a whole change of this. I mean, is there any quarterback you're sold on, Alex, that's going to have any chance to really, you believe in, to take his team far in the NFC playoffs? I mean, the only NFC team, honestly, that I have any faith in right now is the Eagles. And maybe the Vikings, but, you know, with Kirk Cousins there, it's hard to believe that he leads them to – anything further than the first round of the playoffs. I just... Now you sold on Geno Smith. No, I'm not I mean, sold on Geno Smith. They take on, I believe it is the... Uh, I just saw, let me pull it up here. Uh, the Giants this week. I mean, the Giants <sighs> had a, won the game at the one-yard line last week to go to 6-1 and one against the Jaguars. It, you never know. I mean, it could be one of those years for the Giants even where it's like their Super Bowl runs in the 2010s where... Their defense carried them, and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Eli Manning obviously I think was a much better quarterback than Daniel Jones, but he didn't play great in those those years. It was He was carried by a great defense, and they're certainly getting it done this year, and, mm-hmm. you know, 5-1 and one up to yeah, this point. Yeah, I mean, I would take – start to cut you off. I would take Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes or, or just uh, Josh Allen way before I would take anybody else in the NFC. And, I mean – Yes, I think those two teams you mentioned, the Vikings and Eagles, have good chances. The 49ers are the other team that have a good chance. But it's just it's to be determined. But one final game to hit on, Alex. And we played it last week, and they won, so we'll play it one more time. So let's get this. Who they? Who they? Who they say going to beat them Bengals? Oh! 
There it is. And the crowd goes wild. Yes, sir, it does. All right, Bengals at home this, excuse me, on the road this week on Monday night as they'll take on the Cleveland Browns at 8-15 on Monday night football. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman will have the call. Who do you like in that game, Alex? No Jamar Chase. Can the Bengals get it done? On It's supposed to be a little a little overcast. Can the Bengals take this victory home and go to 5-3 and three and win their third straight? Well, John, you know I got to take my Bengals in this one. I mean, of course. Joe Burrow has to get his first win against the Browns, right? I. It seems like there's no possible way the Bengals can lose this game, and obviously that's horrible for me to say because I don't want to jinx the team. Sure. But in every asset besides maybe the run game, it seems like the Bengals are a superior team, even without Jamar Chase in there, which is obviously a huge blow. But you're going up against Jacoby Brissett, and – Joe Burrow has got to finally have his game against the Browns. And honestly, it's not been the offense that's really let down on these losses that he's had to the Browns. It's been the defense. And this year, I think we have the defense that is going to be able to stop the Browns. Uh, obviously, you hope the weather you know, holds up and it doesn't become a complete run game because then I think it could be advantage Browns. But uh, I do like the Bengals in this one. Score, Alex, real fast. On this game, I think the spread right now is at four. I'm going to go 28 to 17 Bengals. I'll go 24, 14 Bengals. I think it's going to be a real slow game. I think, as we mentioned earlier on the podcast, it's going to be a run game. Defense going to play well. And hopefully, Alex, we'll be saying eight games without the Bengals giving up a second-half touchdown. Alex, that's going to wrap it up for our podcast. Oh, we will hit on real fast. FC Cincinnati lost to Philadelphia Union. A great season for them. Uh Last comments about their season, a great year. I mean, Chris Albright came came in from coaching in Philadelphia as their GM there last year, comes over, does a great job this year to turn that program around, and I think they're really doing a good job down at TQL. Yeah, I mean, nobody saw it coming. Great year, tough to lose that game, but, you know, playoffs is good enough sometimes, and they had a great year. They had a great year. They'll be back in action in March. You know, hopefully they can get far in, you know, the second round next year, and I, a lot of hope, and, you know, just like the Bengals – Everything's going in the right direction for the birding organization right down there at TQL Stadium on the west side of Cincinnati. That's going to wrap it up. I'm John Baldridge. Alex, any last things from you? Uh, just have a great week, guys. That's Alex Spearnett. So I mentioned again, I'm John Baldridge. You guys have a pleasant week. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next week. Take care.